0: some people I think are wired to do something and the older I get the more I look at it like it you know you could be super hippieish about it calling a purpose and some sort of grandiose purpose and it, nowadays especially the way the world is going like if you don't have purpose whether that's podcasting or you know some people do podcasts like three people here who cares if you're getting oh. off from it and I don't mean that to be belligerent good <laughs> so what you know yeah. like and I think especially now that could be the counter to our generation growing up is it wasn't necessarily, my dad wasn't against art per se. We watched movies, my mom's an amazing artist as far as some stuff she does, but it wasn't exactly like leaned into either.
1: This month, we welcome Jeff Bosley to the podcast. Jeff is a talented film and television actor with a remarkable background and extensive training that originated on the stage. Jeff's impressive achievements in theater include numerous nominations and awards, such as the Theater Recognition Award, Theater Service Award, and two Best Actor nominations. In addition to his theatrical accomplishments, Jeff has also made a name for himself in the film industry. He produced and starred in the indie feature film Parallax, which has garnered 11 awards since December 2020, including Best Actor, Best Producer, Best Short Film, and Best Thriller. Jeff's life experiences are as diverse as they are impressive. A former Army Special Forces Green Beret and Medal of Valor earning firefighter, Jeff pours every ounce of his hard-earned wisdom into his craft, both on and off the screen. Jeff and Kervin discuss transitioning from the military to Hollywood, stoicism, and the 2023 Oscars. We're excited to share this episode with you.
2: All right. Welcome Jeff Bosley to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Man, thanks for having me. This is gonna be a blast. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be awesome. I can yeah. already tell. <laughs> uh I I know I sent you some stuff we'll we'll kind of try to discuss, but who knows if we'll get to all of that stuff because I Go think a we've
0: great got... glance and I'm not tweeting and ignoring you. I am I, I, I am <laughs> like I'm literally have a notepad. This is uh... <laughs> What are you talking about? I just got a
2: notification you posted something on Instagram just now.
0: <laughs>
2: don't read the caption. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would like to give you a few minutes to just introduce yourself g- give a little bit of your background and then we'll start getting into uh
0: into the episode for sure yeah the um the short version is um normal nuclear family growing up i my dad was divorced remarried when I was a kid he so basically his mom dad brother sister normal life I was very fortunate I lived in a small town in idaho dad was I was fortunate he was a doctor but he was an old school doctor so you know we didn't have like a Mercedes and a BMW we had a Suburban and a Subaru um, so we had very old school values I had to mow the lawn to pay for ex- if I wanted expensive shoes I had to mow the lawn a lot you know so it was very fortunate the way he raised us mom was I was fortunate to have a stay-at-home mom and she's a small she's an Idaho girl so she very much had those if you dare I say traditional values as far as like upbringing the the son and the the, the boy and the girl in the family college uh went off to college out of idaho where we kind of discussed a little bit i went off to private college um in washington because you're supposed to (laughs) this was like my dad wasn't a big like force you to go guy but i just was around i just saw that's the norm so you know it just i was like i guess i'm supposed to go to college and beat that horse to death for like four and a half years before i dropped out like i i just and I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I was the most boring college student to not get a degree ever. Like <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even earn it. You know, like all my friends that did drugs and, and got drunk all the time, they actually got a law degree. Meanwhile, I spent four and a half years watching like Spider-Man and hanging out in Seattle, eating fish, <laughs> you know, <laughs> took a year off. And, uh, that year sucked. I was like traditional truck. I worked at a truck company. I was a personal trainer. I was a uh, server at Tony Roma's and, um, Went back to college, but I got in so much trouble in that year. I had to go back to Idaho, and I went to Idaho State University for in-state tuition. Beat that college horse to death for almost another four and a half years. <laughs> so I have enough degree credits probably to have a master's, and I only have a bachelor's. Uh, 9/11 happened, and then I, at that point, I was a little older, so I was obviously not 18, but I wasn't you know a spry young chicken either. And I held out for another couple years. I'd always wanted to do the military. But because my upbringing, my dad's very pro-military. We have military in our family. But just because of the upbringing, it wasn't as, like, indoctrinated as some families that are grown up in the military. So it was there, but I I had no other way to latch on to it to kind of go, is this what I want to do? Is this what I don't want to do? 9-11 happened. My best friend from childhood, he eventually enlisted. And that kind of helped me go, okay, after two years, I was like, it's time. Because I always knew I wanted to do special operations or special forces of some manner. I was like, I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> I have a shelf life if I'm going to go running into this. So did that, beat that horse to death for a while. Uh, due to an injury, I got a point where I was like, and I, I know this is where I'm preaching to the choir, to yourself and a lot in the audience, the way the wars were and the way we are hamstrung. I mean, I'm not a warmonger, but I was like, <laughs> things are. I, I saw kind of the writing on the wall where I was like, yeah, there's Green Berets that are have amputations that are still serving. But I had a choice from this injury that could be career, not ending, but it was career altering to the point where my conscience was clear to go, are these wars? Is what's going on? Are our abilities to do what we need to do without being constantly hamstrung? I factored all those things in. I said, no, I'm out. I'm good. And then while I was transitioning out, I still needed that kind of that unit of work ethic. I couldn't just go to be a garbage man transitioned into firefighting because I knew I didn't want to be a cop because if anything, if anybody was hamstrung, even back then, I knew cops were, couldn't do their job. Like I, like I said, I'm not out to be a warmonger. Did that for a couple years and then finally through a divorce and various like life slaps in the face, um, I was like, I've always wanted to play pretend. As a little kid, I was like, if, if if God came down himself, I knew I was, I say this all the time, but I knew I wanted to do something. I wanted to be Rambo, but I didn't know if I wanted to pretend to be Rambo or try for real. I did it for real for a while, and I was like, "F it!" You know, I hate pack the cliche, packing a bag, moving to Hollywood, and that's exactly what I did. And it's against all of my OCD micromanaging wiring. Did that for at this point, oh, just under ten years. Got enough of a quote-unquote career that I could move away from that hellscape called Los Angeles <laughs> and uh, moved to Nebraska. And I that's kind of brings us here today. That's the short. Rambly version of the answer.
2: Awesome. That's quite a career trajectory. It's it's very <laughs> force gumpian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I know early on you you were really like a theater junkie. Yeah. Uh, was that as a as a kid?
0: Did you get involved with theater? 100 percent Yeah. I um back when they had just like Betamax video recorders, my I was in the school plays at this uh, grade, grade school I went to. Always <laughs> As I was about to say what I was about to say, I was like, wow, what a self-centered little punk I was. But like, at the time I was just like, I was trying to steal the show, trying to like one up or like, you know, like I remember I had one role as a court jester at a Christmas school play. I went again, father was a physician. So I was very fortunate in some choices they made. And I went to a private call that uh, grade school, nothing crazy, no uniforms, no like BMWs in the drop-off area. It was a private school in Idaho, you know, so it was suburbans of pickups dropping their kids off. Right. And the Christmas play, I was cast as like a court jester, and um, this my parents probably weren't surprised that I always wanted to do this kind of crap growing up, and then eventually, ironically, come back to it in my late thirties. I was supposed to do a car wheel tell a joke, and it's a religious school, so it's it's a little hoity toity. And I rigged my pants to fall off as I did the car wheel, you know, and, and exposed my fa- myself to the audience. <laughs> in a Christmas play at a Christian uh, grade school private school. So, it's always been in my wiring. Like I said, the practicality has always kind of been hovering. So, I didn't lead it to it a lot in when I was in like high school and college as much. College round two, that's actually where I pursued theater as a major, actually. And uh, at that point, there was kind of no going back, even though ironically it preceded my military career. Uh, Once I did that, I was like, oh shit, this is, I love this and I absolutely love it. I, I i was fighting online last night with people about shazam and nerding out on stuff so like the inner nerd has always been there for sure now i'm just get to the point in our age where we're kind of like i don't care what people think anymore you know and i think that's been kind of liberating for me as far as uh decisions and 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 how i actually embraced that stuff well were you like a, a class clown throughout i was kind of a loner i think if anybody was to like sit here with me they'd I'd have my peaks, but I always, I think I can safely say I was always the guy. I wasn't in a group. I was like, ironically, after having been a green beret, I was kind of like a green beret in high, in high school. Like I worked as an ally in every group, but I was never part of one, you know? So I was always like working the alliances, but I was never part of one. So I was always just kind of a loner with my best friend. His name's Jared. Uh, we are just kind of our own little clique, but We liked doing shenanigans. I I know there's Betamax films of us. Me and another buddy of mine, we made fun of the girls' drill team. And during halftime, we ran out there and did performances and tutus. And so I know those exist. And someday, if my career goes the way it does, they will be exposed. So I had moments, but it wasn't like a narcissistic a-hole. Like, you know, there's those... I always look back and I always remember there's those kids that were like class clowns, but they were like the abrasive class clown that was almost like bully level. You know, it was just like... It wasn't pure-spirited, and I am i think I can proudly say it, it, mine was just fun. Like, they weren't like, oh, Jeff Bosley's doing that thing again, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I liked to do stuff, and I, I, I liked to get a rise out of people and then just make them laugh their ass off.
2: Yeah, because the, the reason I ask is I see it in a lot of people who are, like, actors like yourself or ones who want to pursue acting. Sort of every time they're interviewed, they, they will say, i I was a class clown or I was always... Yeah. It, if either it was an attention thing or it was just I had all of this creativity within me and I needed to, to get sure. that out
0: and at the end I think I, mean, I bet if somebody got down and got into some deep hypnosis therapy or something I'm sure anybody that goes into any level of entertainment there might be some sort of thing that's being like psychologically bandaged you know whether good or bad Um but yeah you're absolutely right like you don't do that stuff if you're like a massive introvert but what's ironic is now as i got older and as i maybe got a little bit more jaded or whatever is it's flipped i love doing that stuff and quote-unquote performing and it's all genuine but i'm also massively introverted i'm not out to entertain unless it's like uh you know like here it's all genuine and everything but if, if left to my own devices i'd probably just sit in my house lights off watching tv quietly yeah. not out to be the classical clown because that sounds exhausting now you know yeah I've I've gone through that a lot.
2: Very uh, very extroverted kind of person, but now yeah. you know I'm 39 now, and I'm like, I, I'd rather just be home and just put <laughs> Netflix on, and and my wife is laying next to me, and yeah, we're just goofing off watching
0: some some yeah. movies or something. That that's and like the dream. Is that uh, is and this is getting all Buddha here, but like, is that just? aging or is that jadedness because like some of my friends when they when and if they hear this i'd be like god he's a shell of him former self not in a depressing way but this is this isn't the same guy that threw on a tutu during (laughs) high school halftime games and just wung it winged it and did a drill team performance making fun of the girls drill team you know (laughs) it's like a weird almost a dual personality thing like how much we change as we age
2: yeah, definitely. I was, I was the guy I put a uh, a bike helmet on, and we were in a golf cart at the at the place I worked, and I was getting thrown out of the golf cart in front of people, or handc- <laughs> I was handcuffed in the trunk of a car once, and we <laughs> rolled up to a Taco Bell in the the town that I lived in, and I hopped out of the
0: trunk being handcuffed in handcuffs. <laughs> that's brilliant. I like that. Well, that's what's funny so, is, is this. This is the old man's statement to say, but like. I remember back in high school and junior high, mostly high school in this context, the people that did drugs and drank were the minority. You know, so like everybody just had their acted out or were punks or whatever on, on like, I don't know if you want to say pure terms. They weren't drug enhanced. They just, they did the crap in the drive through like that. When you said helmet, it reminded me, me and a buddy, we dressed up like Harry and Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber we got a moped and we're we drove around our high school campus like that you know no alcohol no drugs just high on life and you know and it's just um it also could be a small town thing or generational yeah you know, you know? it's uh it's it's you know like- i think
2: some of that is like creativity and you've got to get it out in, sure. in a certain yeah. form um, i'm not i'm not an artist i don't uh, i can't sing i love music but i can't do any of that and i can't draw or anything and so i have a creativity that i have to express out maybe that's why i do a podcast now
0: oh i agree yeah i think that's something and the older i get the more because i definitely went into careers that obviously they they weren't i, I was just i say not self-deprecatingly or offensively but i was just called the artsy fartsy stuff which i do all the time i mean there's paintings behind me and i do the artsy fartsy acting crap but yeah there is something some people i think are wired to do something and the older I get the more I look at it like you know you could be super hippie-ish about it and call it a purpose and some sort of grandiose purpose and if nowadays especially the way the world is going like if you don't have purpose whether that's podcasting or you know some people do podcasts at like three people here who cares if you're getting off on it and I don't mean that to be belligerent good <laughs> so what you know yeah. like and I think especially now that could be the counter to our generation growing up is it wasn't necessarily, my dad wasn't against art per se. We watched movies. My mom's an amazing artist as far as some stuff she does, but it wasn't exactly like leaned into either, you know? So it was a weird, a weird duality. Like my dad didn't go, Jeff be a man, but somehow I learned how to do construction and electronic and wiring in the house and drywall repair. And so I don't know how I did. He just, I learned it somehow, but he wasn't like, it wasn't like his dad that probably hit him with a stitch. Right, and you are going to figure this out, son. Because otherwise, I'll hit you. You know, like it wasn't. (laughs) You know, things have changed, but at the same time, it's not like my dad's like, "Hey, let's go express our feelings and draw our thoughts." (laughs) You know.
2: Yeah, and there's there's definitely an evolution of parenting that is going on. I mean, parent like I'm a parent. I have three kids. Okay, uh, teenage kids. Oh God, I'm tired. You know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They are the. Let me tell you, they're the greatest kids in the world. I mean. It's 18, 16 and 14 and they love each other and we just are the goofiest people that we can be. But I, I think my generation of parents is more of that express yourself the way that you want. Yeah. I may not agree with everything that you say or do. Yeah. But as long as you express yourself and you can express to me why it's important to you. Yeah. We are going to be perfectly fine. And I think that's what we're seeing now.
0: Agreed. I think that's, this is deep parenting talk, but I think that's definitely like you said, like some generations or styles would stifle. And I think to my parents' credits, they were just on the cusp of a little of both. Dad didn't say, don't do that, son. But there was, for some reason, there was an air of practicality. Go to college, do something that gets you a job and a career. Even when I went military, that was still quote unquote practical, you know, but mom was kind of his little yin and yang. She was very artistic. She did stuff with my sister and I. We took our classes. You know, like she was again, stay at home mom. I was very lucky. So in the summers, they nurtured stuff that just whether you could call it creative. And so they were. I'm uh, very lucky for me, like as far as my parents. And I, but I definitely see some parents that are just like, no boy, mine will be Peyton. You know, he's not going <laughs> to talk about his feelings on the internet. <laughs> you know. So
2: then I kind of go off script here a little bit. Yeah, I already, already have a script, already. but it's. I'm just thinking about this right now. Is that why a lot of times um, when you'll see actors who kind of fall off and they'll go down a rabbit hole of drugs, alcohol and and have to go into rehab and stuff. Is it because that sort of creativity has been stifled, they can't bring it out. And so they have to have something else that, or, or is that something else that just makes them not, It makes them feel like they don't live anymore because they're trying to
0: escape. I have a handful of theories that aren't fully formulated, but I would, leaning slightly into, there's a, as far as like the practical stuff, I'll say like being an architect, a doctor, firefighter, Green Beret, whatever. Those exactly don't tap into like an emotional release per se. There, you could argue a little bit, yes, but then the other stuff, acting, performing, musicians, whatever... I think you inherently have to be tapping into something. And my loose theory is that, and this is also, I saw this a lot with younger kids, not like I'm a god thespian, but I've educated and trained enough I could look back and see things retroactively as far as like the old guy versus the new kids. A lot of people, for some reason, I had a professor in LA actually, to his credit, he would yell at younger students when he's like, acting is not for effing therapy if you're using this to be therapy or you're performing this character and it's damaging you after your performance and you're all getting artsy farts you know like literally being affected after we call cut you need therapy Because you don't need acting and i think that it's it, it's the chicken and the egg which came first but i think it definitely is a draw for those issues and then because of the up and down of the business you don't get your fix like we were saying earlier. Like, that's a big thing for me. I freaking love this, but I have so little control over it. And so I can see, what well, that's a brilliant question you asked, is I can see, and you even said I have an addictive personality like you said earlier before Again. recording. If you love what you do, like the Green Bray thing, even if we were on a red cycle back home, you know, with our pillow time crap, we were still, the amount of rounds we put down range on a Tuesday was just ungodly satisfying yeah so we still got our fix and so I think all those things those bad bullet points as far as like if people are going into it to express themselves emotionally and they have a lot of conflict or you could even argue people that have a lot of emotional baggage might be drawn to the arts because that is their way to express that's a lot of stuff just a recipe for a disaster and then if you make it big pressure stress I mean I, I think it is a perfect storm if you don't go in there with some sort of clear-headedness or awareness or therapy already lined up, you know, I definitely right. can be a downward spiral. I mean, you could take away, like, I even argue, like, if you look at professional athletes or even, like, I look at uh, empathetically soft guys, like Green Berets and, you know, Special Forces guys, this was their identity. And if they retire or get injured, their purpose is, like, gone. into like, yeah. almost overnight, so I'm not saying it justifies alcohol abuse or drugs or whatever, but I also can see why, like, I mean, that's why they say alcohol numbs the, numbs the pain, you know? So I see if you translate that into like the arts, which is a much, you literally are an emotional creature in those businesses, but they're also businesses that have no say. It's, it is a recipe for disaster. And I think, um, it definitely is a giant reason to answer your question. Why that that is a thing, you know, not right or wrong or good, bad or different, but it makes more sense. You know, I, it's not a surprise. You know, yeah. And then it's God help everybody that goes into the business. <laughs> that's my that's my takeaway.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's not an easy business. Uh, I would say going special forces not an easy business. Yeah, you did that. Was that something that you knew you wanted to do? Special forces. Yes, we're not going to be content doing conventional.
0: Yeah. I knew, um, for those who know it, they're, they're called SF babies, Special Forces babies, um, where it's essentially SEALs have this too. So for some reason, it's it's kind of hated on in the Army part of the DOD. But yeah, I knew was straightforward though. I had a Special Forces contract, which doesn't mean you're guaranteed squat, but it goes, you're going straight to try this. And I did it based on my best friend's advice. Who He was an infantryman and he, has an, he had an amazing enlisted career, transitioned as an officer. So he was kind of my mentor as far as like what to do, what not to do and i always near just as a kid being inspired and interested in the military i was just it probably is rambo's fault like it literally is probably Sylvester Stallone's fault that i wanted to do special forces gi joe was a green beret like i just <laughs> i couldn't and i don't mean any disrespect to the radiology technician in the army or the grunt or the cook and none of that no disrespect but i couldn't fathom anything other than that and so at my age with my injuries just with my just life abuse my best friend he goes Go that route. You're going to be deficient because you don't have a lot of army career as a grunt, but he goes, you're going to be able to compensate with life experience and mental maturity, etc. So yeah, I went straight that route and, um, it's so cliche, but I, I, failure wasn't an option because when you yeah. take an SF contract, if you wash out, they, you quit, they kick you out. You're, the famous phrase is the needs of the military. Yep. You go under that green beret contract and don't make it. for sure. Good luck. You know, odds are you'll go into an infantry unit, uh, especially at Bragg, it'd probably be the 82nd Airborne. Right. And I didn't mean any disrespect to my (laughs) 82nd infantry brothers, but in my head, the way I kind of, I'll drop an F-bomb here, I was like, the, the fucked up way I looked at it was, if I don't succeed at this, I will be an 82nd Airborne in a week, deployed a week later, doing IED patrol and dying. And sure as shit, a guy washed out from our Delta course thrown over to the 82nd Airborne, killed by an IED like two weeks later. And I was like, I thought I was making that up, you know? And and so that that experience specifically, I was like, this is not, I cannot fail this. There's no way. So. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> um,
2: But but you got through it?
0: You, yeah. What were you like? You were 30 or something <laughs> all way through? Made to the lake. When did I get done? I'm, I should know my math better. I was <laughs> late. 20s in basic training i turned okay. 30 in a uh, green beret 18 delta school stuff so yeah i came out not by any means an old guy but i definitely was the oldest lowest ranking guy during the first yeah. part of my career was <laughs> super sucked because my peers by age were you know my age brothers you know my friends that are 30 35s etc but by rank rank still makes you not hang out with Yeah. People. So that just reinforced the loner aspect. Like I was like, I had no identity. I did. I definitely wasn't going to hang out with the equals in rank. Cause they're all punk a-holes. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it was, I'm glad I did it the way I did it. But I always tell people, I'm like, I, I was deficient as far as the experience of joining it as an infantryman in, at 18. But at the same time, I wouldn't say join the military right now either. So right. <laughs> that's a whole nother like three hour podcast. I'm sure.
2: So then you uh so then you get out. Uh, you said some medical medical things happen.
0: Yeah. It was either um... It was gravity in a helicopter and I walked oh. away from it a year lit with a spine full of metal and a year of rehab and physical therapy and all that. So did, did that happen in CONUS? or Yeah. No, it was in it country. He was on an yeah. operation. So that works out as far as like if you're good with your number, your money and your finances and, and keeping records. So it's great to I, I can't remember the words that you use. If you if you get injured during a, in an instrument of war or something like that, that helps with your retirement. You know, right. there's absolutely um, gravity and a and a Black Hawk and, and Earth and me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that you know that again, there's Green Berets I know that are actually literally serving, missing a leg, and I just chose not to. You know, I just I was like, I wish I would have joined her. Like that's a giant regret is I wish I would have joined during a little bit more of the cowboy days, not willy nilly killing people like stupid like not that kind of cowboy crap but right little where i thought more was happening more was being done than than just being uh the way it is now just being a counter terrorist pretty much yeah yeah (laughs) exactly oh i get that i get that
2: definitely but it sounds like even after like you you got out medical reasons yeah but you still didn't feel like you were finished that sort of career path you went to be not even just a firefighter, you were like an elite firefighter.
0: Yeah, I think I I, I drifted towards the trucks, you know, and I not want to blow to it to I was there for two years, and I definitely drifted towards because, of my, again, I was the oldest guy in the academy. Uh, I am pretty sure I was the oldest guy in the academy. Um, but again, it was I definitely drifted towards I was always as fast as possible going I know the new guy games, I know the rules, I know you can't do this as a first year firefighter. But to the firefight department's credit, they also, they were like, this guy's almost in his 40s. He was an 18 Delta. Uh, he was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So actually one of my cadre in the uh, academy, he was an 18 Delta. So they knew kind of on paper what I where I was, what I was capable of, what my interests would be. So I was always trying to get on the the, the rescue teams, the high angle rescues, the motorcycle teams. <laughs> like yeah. And you can only do so much so fast as early in your career as a firefighter without all coming across like you expect favoritism. Cause that's the kind of crap I hate is because I did this in the military I automatically should be given this hell. Yes. It should be a factor. Like I would kill if I could just go straight to SWAT or something. Right. Cool. But I couldn't pound the ground in LA for 10 years. Like don't get me wrong. If they came up with a straight to SWAT program, I'd be very interested. But <laughs> I, it doesn't exist just because of the green Ray doesn't mean I have to skip the ground pounding for 10 years so I tried to definitely transition get to as many of those quote-unquote elite you know those more and I don't mean this disrespectfully the less grunty stuff I love grunt work I don't like being in charge and being an officer and all that but I wanted to be in the rescue st- stuff I didn't like firefighting I liked going in with an axe and a halogen and looking for bodies you know I, I liked that stuff so I still had that need but unfortunately that's also they'll say this in the first days of the academy they're like if you're here to be a firefighter, quit because you're going to be an EMT for ninety percent of your career. Yeah, go like, oh, loosen and sh- sure as shit, that's how it is. <laughs> you're an EMT that might fight a fire every once in a while. So can I can I ask about that? Yeah,
2: because um, personally, I have seen that out here and yeah. um, you know dealing with with kind of things. And you call up, let's say, you know, you call nine one one emergency. Hey, I need to, have a medical emergency. Yeah. And it's the
0: firefighters that show up. What what goes into that thinking? Yeah, every municipality is a little different, but the general template, even like if it's FDNY, LA Fire Department, Cars, Springs Fire, 911 will go out to, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm accurate in saying this, it, nine, uh, fire will get the call. And if there happens to be a, civilian, uh, a non-fire ambulance service, some, sometimes the ambulance service is the fire department. Like I believe FDNY, every ambulance is a fire is a fire ambulance. Unless it's like a transport of an old person to another person, that'll be like one of those like just critical care transport ambulances. Right. As like an 18-year-old EMT or something riding it. Colorado Springs was, I liked it for me because they actually had an ambulance um, business. There was another business that ran ambulances. So they actually got the 911 call. So sometimes if you knew it was a bullshit call, you might drive a little slower knowing they'll get there first because not every house in Colorado Springs or every fire station had an ambulance. So like you said, the the engine would show up with firefighters. It's not like they could transport a body in it. So yes, they're all EMTs. Most of the time they have a paramedic so they can provide stuff, but we, the actual ambulance that would support, maybe do stuff in route to the hospital that would always be coming second. Right. But We're still, That's rare. I think Colorado Springs is pretty rare. Most fire departments are nine one one, and they are the ambulance. They are the transport service. So in those departments, you are very much going to be an EMT way more than even I was, and and so. And that's part of the academy. They teach you. They don't teach you, but they tell you. Yeah, you come out as an EMT basic. Like you have to be. Some departments actually require you to be a paramedic, and people all old dudes that wanted to just be a firefighter and they're like i didn't sign up to be a paramedic and some of them they're not wired to sit there and learn drip rates for medications <laughs> and so they're like this is horrible you know but that's just a fact i mean what was the last right. time we saw a fire that was not just like a garbage dump maybe a truck on fire on the highway i mean this isn't like um the movies where like half of chicago is on fire on a front right so that's just they don't they you there is a medical section in the academy where you come out with your EMT basic because you have to. Um, but they do tell you just like as you know one of their more like um, opposite of motivational speeches. They're like they they go straight up. Do not be here if you want to be a firefighter. Those days are gone, and they're not wrong. And I just didn't listen. And but that as an 18 Delta being that SF medic guy, having the life I lived, it it wasn't uh, not to be a dick, but it wasn't fulfilling enough. I needed the constant rescue missions. I needed constant, 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 or it wasn't enough. I love humans, uh, but I was burnt out on medicine. <laughs> like, yeah, I could put on the face and go, "Hey, let's do some vitals, Grandma." I, I love this job, you know, but it was—it just wasn't satisfying. And I'm one of the few people that quits firefighting. Nobody quits firefighting because it's an amazing job. Shifts are amazing. The team's amazing, but I, I needed to be. In, i needed a ironically i needed movie fires every friday right?
2: <laughs> you had a passion for something else and yeah that's yeah. where we'll get to the meat sure of this because you went from there and you decided to go to hollywood yeah i
0: because it was burning out and it wasn't giving me what i wanted um and I, it wasn't like i was 15 years into it i was two years into it and i was kind of like going i i don't want to pick up no disrespect to the homeless guy at the Seven Eleven, but I don't want a nine one one to him every Thursday, knowing it's Billy Bob, yeah. and it wasn't enough for me. And so enough things happened. I asked for a divorce from my other time wife, which was for the best. So no boo-hoo's there. <laughs> but I was it straight up turned into a country song. Right? It was me and a dog in a car. <laughs> it's just like wow. And to to credit us, some good friends of mine, they just were like, Jeff, this is the, the, this is your time, you damaged your body you have you know your medical payments for your retirement so you're you have nothing to worry go worry about go for it and the the micromanaging OCD tightly wound guy was like freaking out about doing something so stupid but I was like in the same spirit of why I was a green beret later why I was a firefighter later the whole um fuck it I'll regret this the rest of my life that would that superseded my my need to be in control you know and so yeah, Pat, I put my house on Craigslist and I didn't even sell anything. I just said, come in the house and buy stuff off the shelves. <laughs> it was the most like unsafe scenario ever. I, you know, like I was panicking heat, but I just let people come in my house and just buy dishes out of the cabinets and just pull. What year is this? 2004? That can't be right. Maybe 2004. No, God, it's 2023 now. Yeah. Uh, that's way <laughs> long ago. I, didn't, I haven't had enough head injuries to explain that, but I, I am bad at numbers and math and memories. Eight-ish years ago. Eight, nine-ish. Okay. Yeah. So it... Um, yeah. And that's the whole regret sucks. I had to do it or I'd be pissed for not doing yeah. I can't believe I did it. To this day, I'm like... That stresses me out. Like, retelling that. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like I felt like I got, like, career roofied to just, you know, <laughs> take it and good luck. And now to this day, I'm like, it makes me sweat just thinking about what I did. But And here you are. All right. Uh, I mean, again, I'm not rocking on a ranch of you know 30 horses on a billboard with Chris Pratt or anything like that but yeah I'm in the spirit of what we talked about earlier older wiser more perspective and all that I can't really have too many complaints I mean I complain but uh yeah it's it it didn't go bad considering the business I went to you know I think I as what we talked about and we'll probably touch on is the things I had control over have control over uh that are, are like maybe two percent of the hundred percent equation. I have crushed those two percent. All the crap that's out of my control that does drive me nuts that I do bitch and moan about, and I do sleep lose sleep on, and I stress about constantly. If I can put that aside, just focus on the stuff I did. I know I haven't screwed up or been lazy or or been crappy at my attempt. So
2: that's so. Could- did you did did you understand that before you got into
0: stoicism, and <laughs> or was stoicism kind of what? what triggered it helped yeah i didn't understand that going in i think there was a stoic wiring in my head but it is very it it requires a lot of conscious effort on my part i'm not a walking ball of stoic piece it i i caught i really have to work at the things that aren't in your control let them go stuff i'm really bad at that to this day it's a it's a sleep killer for me um, so I drew to Stoicism because I knew this was, it was an unsustainable mentality as far as like, you know, the pillars of Stoicism and all the stuff Stoicism is about. I was like, this works for me because it's not a spiritual, it's not religious and I am a religious guy, but it just, it was very pragmatic. And so I was like this level of absurdity for somebody that needs so much freaking control, I need an intermediary to manage this yeah. and that, so Stoicism drifted into my periphery to, help manage or mitigate the insanity of this horrendous career decision <laughs> do you see a lot of stoic practitioners in hollywood i would say and i've actually had this conversation with betty the other day kind of what you're talking about The business draws a certain type and i don't mean in this disrespectfully but i would say the business typically draws people that are more artsy farts you know i don't mean in this disrespectfully and oftentimes and i'm in awe of this this mentality I've seen more people that are are uh, like I'll just manifest it I'll ask the universe for it all that crap and I don't mean it disrespectfully. I roll my eyes at it I'm in just baffled by that mentality I can't I didn't I didn't ask the universe for my grand beret. I went through you know fire blood and water to get that thing and then no matter how much I asked Oprah or the secret for it, it wasn't gonna happen unless I yeah. and kicked ass do to, to get it. So I saw more of if you will that mentality and I that's really generically speaking but more the people I ran into and a lot of my closest friends that are still in Los Angeles are more loose with their like structure and it works for them which is why like it it doesn't work per se for me coming in from literally the word militant background to something that's so out of your control. So for someone like me probably you a lot of people we associate with it is it is it is a soul suck of stress because we're not wired that way to go. It's okay. Whatever's meant to be, will be. I know that's right intellectually. And I know that's probably a good way to think, but I just can't embrace it. Like my brain just, I need to unwire something. And so that's why stoicism worked to apply. That was my version of their secret. Ask Oprah manifest it to the universe. Like now, right. That seems solid to me. So I didn't see as many of me to answer your questions. Finally, as I did more of the just, whatever's meant to be will be, you know, cause it draws that kind of person, you know, and it, it, those people are typically more artistic. They're more easy going and go with the flow. And which is why probably some of them have maybe better or more easy going careers. You know, like for me, I t- still treat it like getting a green beret. Like if I F this up, I will die in the 82nd airborne. Yeah. I still found that mentality in Hollywood, but it's the exact opposite of being in my control. So it's Obviously, that doesn't work. It's very conflicted for sure. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, not I haven't been there. I, I haven't you know done any anything in Hollywood but I can kind of get that sense and just just what I see so no. let's go back to divorce you've got you got your country song going with your dog and your truck and and hopefully those didn't leave you um <laughs> but you arrive into Hollywood what is that what's that light you know what's the first
0: uh first yeah. gig the first uh read that you did well like a country song she got the dogs, so it was just <laughs> <laughs> I should write a country song now I, the, this is, it it feels scripted, but I, the assistant surgeon on my spine surgery knew, I think it was because of Facebook, said, Hey, you could sleep on my couch. And I was like, All right, if I'm going to swing for the cliches, let's just swing for the cliches. So I packed up my vehicle and slept on a couch there for a while and I winged it. Like I knew I had a plan, but I kind of went there, you know, the whole, um, I can't remember where it came from, but it's been bastardized constantly. The whole "burn your boats" metaphor, of um, I think it was Magellan, or I don't know who it was, or the Vikings, or something. But basically, yeah, they when they got to their the place they were attacking, the 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 theory was they burned the boats, so there's no escape. They had to win or die trying. So that's kind of how I treated Hollywood. Was like, there's no choice. I didn't go there. I didn't go there having a plan to be a bartender or a bouncer or a personal trainer. I went there with enough savings and a little bit of the the retirement stuff that I had rolling which doesn't work very well LA is so expensive mm-hmm. but that was my only option so I actually didn't which is still retelling you this makes me just sick I didn't have a plan other than shelter like that was chip plan number 1 and I think and I've said this constantly but I think because of I called my the spectrum of suck this my spectrum of suck when I'd done in special forces and all that was way different than 18-year-old Jeff and what he considered difficult. So finding shelter in Los Angeles, boohoo, cried me a freaking rip. <laughs> so like I was willing to go through a lot of hell, which was subjectively easy compared to some other stuff I had done. So that was really it. That was my first, like was just to get shelter. And then after that, through enough veterans that had been in the city, I knew one Green Beret who's been a stuntman in the industry forever. I just got through the right connections and nothing was awesome overnight. It's not a cool overnight success story, just little crap, some little indie films here and there and just enough baby crap just to pay the bills. Even if it was like a commercial, nobody saw an indie film, nobody saw, but just little 50, a hundred dollar jobs that just barely got through. And to a lot of people, like I have a a debt list that I've created that just of people that did me favors and I did the couch sleeping thing for a giant chunk of my time in California. And I'm, this is a little huggy here, but like, I'm very fortunate that I had friends that did that, That basically they, it was at their expense. Like I didn't freeload and like, I paid my sure utilities, but they didn't have to do that crap for me. So that was it. And then there was no big turning point. It was just because my relentless, if I go to the 82nd airborne, I'm going to die by an IED mentality that just sheer saturation paid the bills like, I have a tracker, you know, surprises my OCD. And (laughs) what I had in a year for auditions, I had in, like, a week. Because I was like, I'm not, there will be no other existence for this other than I'd go to the gym and be available for auditions. And it got to the point where I would send this to a manager or whatever, like, how many auditions have you had this year? And at one point, it was something like 500 in a year. That's not, that's great, but it doesn't, it's also like, soul-sucking like i did the whole like life's of sprint not a marathon i ran a sprint and so it was just saturation i shot shotgun pellets at the wall and it just kept hitting enough to survive Man. there's no big giant like i got a movie with uma thurman that was really cool but they didn't like it paid some bills and i got a little bit of heat and i got a manager out of it but it wasn't like all of a sudden like life's easy now i'm gonna go buy my ranch and my ferrari you know, <laughs> you know? everything was survival the whole time i was in la it just was it was just how it
2: was so five, 500, what, in a year, let's Something say. Ungodly. 500. So that's a lot of no's. You're hearing a lot of no's. Yeah. How do you it's, mentally prepare for that? Did they, you know, did going through being a Green Beret, did yeah. that help
0: you at all? This is probably the shortest answer you'll give for me, is it got, initially I was pissed because I hate not having control over my fate, but then it got to the point where I realized I was doing quite well with what I could control, whether... They needed fit-looking dudes. I was always in shape or whatever. I knew I was always studying or training or whatever, but the things that were out of my control, which maybe they thought I was a shitty actor that day, or maybe I was a shitty actor that day, or maybe I reminded of I'm an ex-boyfriend, or maybe they just thought I was an abrasive militant a-hole from Idaho, whatever. But the other 98% of stuff I had no control over was kind of almost for once peaceful to me. I was like, oh, I literally can't do anything about these things. So that actually made the nose okay, because I knew statistically there was so much already against me getting the yes and not in an excuse way because I would hate that. I'd punch myself in the face if I was looking for excuses, but I just knew statistically the sheer amount of people that came in, the sheer amount of them that were clones of me, that there's so much out of my control that I can only, the the three things I can do, I did them to a hundred, you know, I did them to an 11. And the other thing, it's kind of like, if you get all your arms blown off and limbs, you're not going to be playing NBA basketball, right? No choice. And that's almost freeing. If you have it, if you think you have a say in your fate, that's almost more stressful than saying you have no. Cho- you, there's no say in this. So I got to the awareness of saying there's no. I have no say in this, and that was freeing. But it still sucks to be told no, <laughs> 480 times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, I people try to go, and I, I mean, I know they mean well, but like my mommy, when she, you know, they'll say stuff like, you know, that's like it is in the real world. I'm like, no. I, I had to get a job at a tire store in high school. I applied and got it. I didn't have to perform. I didn't have to have blue eyes or perfect hair or there weren't 400 people also applying to tire, uh, West Schwab tires in high school. Right. I made these checkpoints as a Green Beret. I became one. It wasn't easy. Don't get me wrong. But that was almost quote unquote easier than getting a damn job in Hollywood. <laughs> you know?
2: yeah. And that is because that's such a tough, you know, that first time, any, anytime you're told no or something like that, I, yeah. I, I would call it failure, right? Yeah. So the first time you fail, is just the most difficult could be the most difficult time of your life uh, I know for me personally yeah. when that happened it, it was just like oh no I'm a failure now ever yeah. since so I've had to like recalibrate my brain that sometimes you fail not because you can't do it but because something else is is opening up or i you learn something from that failure that yeah. opens that other thing up
0: and that's the wise good on you approach <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know that intellectually agreed yes and to me that's the the, the line of delineation between the stuff i like if i didn't become a green beret i would i probably wouldn't have been in the headspace to be as wise as you with that statement i'd been like i'm a failure i would i or if i didn't pull off the firefighting and i didn't i'm not a i wasn't like the star college quarter high school quarterback i mean the things i've always done i've succeeded at and they weren't it's i'm not blowing out of proportion like i said i wasn't like an all-star athlete i but the big things I reached out for, the Green Beret and the Firefighter, particularly the Green Beret thing, I succeeded at. So failure I never... I didn't get, but at the same time, luckily for me, the Hollywood thing, I did ever translate to failure, but I still have the emotional reaction to it. Like like the thing that I say is unwise. So like that's why I commend you for that headspace because <laughs> the, I need to find that headspace in this chaotic, out-of-my-control world of this, especially this industry because like for perspective... I know you brought it up in the email at some point, but like I, have a, I had a giant audition that I just did last week that will be, it's the main bad guy for an entire season of a number one show on on a, on a network. Wow. And I say more than that. And I know I crushed it. I did what I could with it. And if I don't get it. No, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm a failure, but I absolutely feel like I lost the, the Super Bowl when I get, don't get those downs because I don't have the wisdom headspace to, and that's, that's the deficiency I have. So it, I don't have that one wired tight yet. <laughs> I don't have that stoic at all.
2: <laughs> well, let's uh, let's talk about some successes because um, I, I was looking through your reels and I saw you were on um, you were a uh, brief character on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. yeah, which I love. I love the show. I do too. Um, I, I think those everyone there is hilarious. So you you know how long were you on set for that? How was that? Did you get to to like interact with yeah. the guys there?
0: That's the thing, that was the first job I learned the the disproportionality of time on screen and time spent working. I was almost there for like a week and if the episode I was on, I mean, I'll round up to maybe a total of 120 seconds. The scenes were funny as crap. I got to interact with Sandberg and I forgot the name, the guy who plays his uh, chief. And, and so it's a weird disproportionality. You're on the clock for eight hours even if you're sitting in the, like, anybody that complains about Hollywood acting, like when I see celebrities and all that, especially ones who are like, Driven and given their food and massively well taken care of, I'm like, whoa! <laughs> you you have the cushiest job on the planet. Yes, it might be stressful and exhausting, but damn, I just got paid basically because it was uh, you know union work, uh, a decent like rate, and it's not like a secret; it's on the internet. But like back in those days, it was like 800 bucks for eight hours. Like I mean, that's pretty damn good. It's good. You'd be playing pretend and actually because if you're acting, the amount of time you're acting for, like let's say you're there for like, an eight hour day. You're doing your lines, and you're doing the crap like the scene I did with Samber, is is maybe a total of, I'll even round up to maybe an hour. The rest of the other seven hours is them setting up, running the, rehearsing it, setting the lights, having, so like the disproportionality of work to work put into to paycheck received is so crazy. So yeah. it was fun as hell, but you, because ironically the military, you get used to waiting a lot. So it's ironic. Yeah. That you, Hurry that, up and wait yeah, that career actually is helping me do that. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to sleep over here on the concrete. And like, is that guy okay? <laughs> like, I can sleep anywhere. So like, that was awesome because that was the first big paycheck. It was the first big role. And I say big, it was, I, I think yeah, the a name, you know? So the first big role, first name with a main star. And, and so it was kind of fun. But then I also, to me, further reinforced the absurdity of the stuff I don't have control over. Even though I got the role, it was, they were auditioning for, Cliche short Italian Guidos. Like, that's what the audition called for. And I'm not an Italian Guido. (laughs) They put me in a tracksuit and slicked my hair and gave me a chain. And I was like, and I wasn't going to talk myself out of the job. I was like, I would not have picked me for the. So that just proved to me further how there's so much crap out of my control. Like, maybe they saw me and they're like, oh, we don't need a Guido. You know, so I'm like, well, if that's the case, the inverse of that is also the case. They might like me, but they're like, ah, oh, he's too big for that role because I am like six and a half feet tall. So that job gave me perspective good and bad as far as like work put in, work put uh work received, the disproportionate the absurdity of like what they're asking for versus what they cast. But and then the happy feely part of that, like it was fun as hell. Like that dude is funny as hell. Like Sandberg is he's extremely smart, but he plays the biggest idiot. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would see like the thing I'll never forget was like between uh, takes, or if we're you know polishing something up, we he wasn't an a hole. He was very talkative, and we were just kind of bullshitting between the takes. And he his his like you could tell <laughs> that sounds like such an a hole. We need to look into somebody who's genuinely all pistons aren't firing. They're just not bright. There's a there's literally a dimness in their eyes. <laughs> and Sandberg, when he was talking in between scenes, he was sharp. His eyes were engaged, and he you could just tell he was a smart guy. And and to be that level of an, funny. Was there, but then right when they called action, he he got these weird cow glazed eyes. Like He just looked like an idiot all of a sudden, and I was like, "Don't screw this up, Bosley," because yeah. I I wanted to laugh so hard because I watched them go action, and he just went to like this cow mode of just dumb ass moron, and I just was like, "Don't laugh, you're playing a serious character," <laughs> like, and so I was really like, that was the first time I realized what it would be like to work on like a Will Ferrell movie or those movies where. Right it's just funny as hell like I we cut and I just would turn my back and I'm like ah, cool man don't be the giant <laughs> train that's laughing but it was that was fun as hell it was that was the first time where I realized I was like oh man I. as much as I like on paper if I make a tough face or I'm showing off muscles and tattoos I'm always going to play that guy but when I watch shows like Parks and Rec or New Girl or The Office yes. those shows those just look like the best freaking kick in the ass fun that anybody could have like those would probably just be a dream come true
2: yeah, and I mean Andy Samberg. I, I love that guy as yeah. an actor. Hot Rod's one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. like movies, just to turn on and watch. And
0: yes, very a, yeah, <laughs> good. Re- and that's the thing is like you can't be that funny. And I mean, it exists. There are funny people that are idiots, but you to be like intelligent funny, but to also play such moronic funny. Yeah, to me, that's a level. That's like a savant level genius. <laughs>
2: like, Definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> uh, yeah. you were you were also in an episode of SIL team is that sort of like the role you you thought for yourself
0: you were going to yeah. do these military type roles those are the, the i don't want to say easy ones because it's still the same absurd process to get even in the door like without going down a long rabbit hole you know like people will say oh you should be on this jeff you should be on yellowstone and the amount of checkpoints to even get considered by your agent or your manager to even get the audition, let alone them approve the audition. It's not just like and I, I it's an awesome compliment people are like, oh Jeff, you should be on SEAL team. I'm like, there's not a funk there's not a eight hundred line to go, hey, I, somebody told me I should be on your show. <laughs> it is it is frustrating. It was more easy to try out for like high school or college basketball because you're like, oh, I'll sign up and try out. It's not mm-hmm. how it works. That one was through the business is all networking, good or bad, which is the icky part of it that I hate. I don't like I don't feel like feeling like I used car salesman. But through enough of the channeling and networking I had done, especially in the stunt community where the military advisory community got enough of a footprint that some people said, hey, this guy should audition for this role. And it wasn't like, again, it wasn't like a Jeff should be the new Indiana Jones. It was nothing like that, but it was more, it was a, hey, this guy needs this and he's he's a shoe in I vouch for him or whatever. So I still had to audition all that. And it was ironically supposed to be a main Secondary character to the main cast, like it was, it was supposed to have like a, a character arc, if you will, for the season. And I was like, all, like I was like, dreams come true. I was like, I'm gonna buy a house. You know, I was already count. I was doing what Joe did when they're 18 on their first deployment. Man, I'd already spent my 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 reenlistment paycheck. Basically. You got a Dodge Charger. <laughs> exactly. I had a Dodge Charger, a Mustang, and a yeah, 32% finance. But yeah, so it was supposed to be that, and that's the weird thing about this business. If you like it. I don't want to be dead and jaded because I know I can tend to be that way. But as a result, you're, it's constantly this up and down happy. You know, if you go to an 11 up here, you got to crash. There's no there's no way to go down to a zero without it feeling like a, a dump. So I I was like kind of getting giddy and emotional and excited about it. But then it killed me off. And I was like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I got two episodes out of it. And it was, you know, it was a lot of filming. I got to spend a lot of time. And those are shoe in jobs for like as far as the technical aspect. I will give seal team credit, even though it's like, there's a joke, you know, seals and green berets are always heads and Oh yeah, seals are very much in Hollywood and I'm even fighting for a seal role that's coming out. So whatever, but it was definitely to their credit. It's, I'll always say this and I'll fight online with every movie nerd on the planet, hire the best actor and all the other bullshit. If they used to be a real doctor, if they used to be a real green beret, if they used to be whatever bonus. But this, this weird, because this happened with Brendan Fraser uh, for like the whale. He, he had a fat suit on. Yeah, People like hire a real fat person. I'm like, I don't not agree with that, but that shouldn't be the requisite. He was the best actor. And then there's politics, a name actor versus a no-name actor. Of course, you're yeah. going to want a name actor because it's a business. So don't hire me because I was a Green Beret. Hire me hopefully because I'm a good actor. But if the Green Beret stuff helps bonus that does set me apart but to me i'll always say that and so it was good on that that show is really good at hiring former vets because it adds um the phrase is a little douchey production value they don't have to have a consultant run and teach the guy how to like i actually helped ran uh uh, what's his name david borianna's choreograph a scene where we had to clear um like a battleship it was a really narrow uh inside of a battleship so the cqb I was like, he's a little taller. So like, okay, Jeff, you showed David how to do this. And so we actually blocked it for him and he just mirrored it. So to his credit, he learned really well. But then when I did my scene, he actually, there's another guy, we were shooters up on a, a bridge of a ship and he was another 18 Delta too. And so they're just like, all right, just roll it. You guys do what you do. <laughs> so it's it's just really efficient to do that because, you know, we did mag changes. We knew how to play off each other for the, the you know, shooting our guns. And so those are falling in jobs. Don't get me wrong. But well, we're playing. What do they call it? A rib? The the boat the the boat seals always use. It's I can't remember what it stands for. We had to come in on that. and I'm shooting a fifty, and again, don't get me wrong. If if I didn't scream like a little girl inside during that, like we're going <laughs> over waves, I'm shooting a fifty at a battleship. If that was the real world, I'd have been having a blast. Don't get me wrong. Nobody's shooting at me for real, for, fortunately. Right. But I was having, it was a kick in the ass. Like you're playing pretend and getting paid really good money for it. So those fun as hell. So those jobs are phony jobs. So I'm like, oh, I'll just pretend to be me, act tough and stoic, and <laughs> and just act tough and shoot guns and collect my paycheck, and just have. And I just had a blast with those dudes on set, but then they killed me off. So, and you've also done some um, directing of some short films. That's the thing. Everybody says this is one I fight on a lot with some people. Where they're like, well, if you want to do it, make your own content. And I'm like, yeah, but it's also a business. That costs money, first of all. Yeah, I want to play basketball, but playing in my ba- in my driveway isn't the same as playing for the NBA. Uh, I don't knock that, but that's my standard. And I don't mean that in a dick way. But I do, like you said, I, if you enjoy the art or the thing you enjoy doing, that's the thing you got to decide is like, are you willing to do it at a cost, literally or metaphorically? And so I have a really good friend. He was the guy that helped me tons when I moved to LA. His name is Scott. We do tons of stuff together. He's more creative. I kind of hand him ideas and he polishes the turds because i have great ideas but I, I don't have a maybe the the wiring and definitely the formal education to write scripts he's he went to like you said he went to new york film academy or whatever okay oh, nifa yeah uh, and he has he's done a lot so he actually has formal education as for like picking lenses and all this stuff so um we did we just felt, shot one um when i lived in atlanta i bought a house in atlanta that sounds pompous, but it was just because it's a small town and outside of Atlanta, it was affordable. My mortgage for a four, five bedroom house was what I was paying for rent for a studio in yeah. L.A. So I wasn't bawling and bought an awesome house. I just bought a house and moved. So we flew the cast out there because it's cheaper to to uh, to do that there than it was to shoot in L.A. And um I enjoy that because, like, if I could just not think about money and bills and the bullshit we have to deal with on a daily basis obviously that'd be with anything. Like if you could Joe Rogan your podcast and just have a hell of a day and do five Yeti commercials at the beginning of it. Yeah, (laughs) that would be the dream. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's, and so like those are the moments I try to use as my personal litmus test of like, wow, that whole day I was stressed directing or talking to Scott or I was stressed on my lines, but not once was I thinking about my cell phone bill or my mortgage payment, you know? Obviously the reality kicks you back in the face when you, you know, on a Saturday morning, but that stuff was awesome because I do like, For some reason, I have been told this, like in theater in college, and when we were doing this this movie, it's called Noon. Scott and I were co directors because he also acted in it. So when he was acting, I was directing, and it's it's fun as hell because it's cool to like. like, Probably with you and your careers too, like your non podcast stuff is if you like teaching, like if you like doing what you were being taught that you're teaching others to do, teaching it is can actually be fun as hell, and that's essentially all directing is. In big movies, directing is basically sitting there at the monitor going, okay, action, and then all these other people do shit, and you say, cut, and move on. But with the indie stuff, you kind of, I think if you're a good director, you go, hey, let's talk about your character. Let's try to Why would you do this? Let's be artsy-fartsy. And I love that shit. I really do. But I also like the military side of me where I'm like running the show. Not because I'm a narcissist, but I like making shit happen. <laughs> yeah. And the director gets to do that, you know? And so, it is just, it's just like anything with your business, too, is like, you you're you're high off action you know inaction is kind of is dead and and kind of just a soul suck and so the directing is fun as hell for sure yeah
2: idle hands exactly right yeah exactly as
0: soon as we're down here i don't know what i'm gonna do with myself all day
2: (laughs) (laughs) well uh well you want to talk oscars for a little bit so hell yeah we just had the oscars Uh, we are an oscars family we always have a party okay Oh, just for us. It, yeah, no yeah. one else was invited, but with yeah. the champagne, <laughs> yes, it, the kids have their you know oh, sparkling awesome, grape man. juice, and, and we for do sure. it all. And, and this was very important for my kids this year. I think they were huge fans of everything, everywhere, all at once. Okay, they yeah. they that was a movie they saw in theaters five or six times.
0: Really? Yeah, that's really cool to hear. I love
2: it. And, and I saw it once on when it was streaming because I just didn't get out to, it. and I didn't understand. You know what it was all about before watching, but then I watched it, and it's incredible how they yeah. pieced it all together, and yeah. some of the acting in it. As someone who wanted to do that, yeah, I, I looked and go, I can't do that. Yeah, you, some of the times where you know they they were—I don't know if you saw it or not, but I'm gonna rewatch
0: it because I haven't seen it for a long time, and I'm okay. I mean, it's, it's almost like saying I haven't seen the—I have seen the Godfather, but yeah. <laughs> at that level, you sh- people should have seen that. Out of all, yes. of them. And The whale, and I, I still haven't seen them.
2: I have not here, seen the whale yet uh, because I have to be my wife and I have to be in the right mindset to watch a movie that's going to be that upsetting.
0: Exactly, and that's why I honestly didn't. Is is, is it, you don't go into that or like the first Joker with and come out. Oh. I'm going to feel good after, this. <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, you, you know,
2: watching that movie and seeing because characters sort of change their characteristics in an instant. Yeah, you see it just like you were talking about with Andy Samberg, the face yeah. just changes. Yeah, um, and I'm like, I don't know if I can if I can do that. But speaking on on the Oscars, what what did you think of the winners? I mean, do you think I they think, got it right this
0: year? I think they're getting it more right. I know everybody's being there's this weird. Well, first I will say I do the thing I did value because the parts that from every every everything, everything all, all, that movie I yes. get backwards. <laughs> Sounds like just a sense of prepositions, but that um, the thing I liked about it is that and the whale, the vibe I got from them for once. And like I used to be a big Oscars person, but then there's a weird phase, and you'll probably be able to speak better on this because it sounds like you you guys have been on it for so long. Where I it there is an ickiness to it, where like you ever see like on Instagram where they're like, hey, here's the, uh, the '90s when like Richard Deere and Michael Keaton were on the red carpet, and it had a different, just fun vibe. There might have been some dark shit in the background. I don't know. But there was more of a just like, this is awesome. Let's have some fun. And it was just at awards. And then for some reason, there was like... Just kind of got an icky air to it. So I actually consciously stepped back for a while because of the way I was handling it. You know, it's... it's I, I knew myself as an audience to go, you're, you're kind of ruining it. <laughs> so like, <laughs> this was the first one, especially because pandemic. I don't... Did they have them last year? No, the year before... Yeah, last year was the Will Smith thing. Yes. And the year before that, they'd taken... I think a year or two off or it was just so, disastrous. It
2: was. So 2020, 2021, I don't remember if they did 2020, but there was one where they separated everybody and it, yeah, was, yeah. it was the worst yeah, why television I yeah. have ever seen. Everything was trying to be spontaneous, but you could tell it was scripted. Yeah. No one wanted to say or do the wrong thing.
0: And that's the thing. That's what I started getting. And I, I try not like, I know this industry or I firmly feel strongly close to knowing factually <laughs> that this industry can have some ick to it. And there, I can't personally vouch for any of it. I've had great experiences, fortunately, but you can't, this is to me like ancient Rome. You get that level of power, fame, money, or whatever. I don't think the human mind, if, 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 if it's prone to being a, not the best it person, maybe you can go Weinstein levels or just, or just maybe just an asshole it becomes easier to be more like socially or literally debaucherous. So I don't know how this industry can't have a lot of grossness to it. I personally, fortunately have not experienced it. I've seen and met some a-holes and whatnot, but whatever. I think that's going to be the risk like way back earlier when you talked about when you get into the artsy-fartsy stuff, it's, it's, it's literally a business runoff of emotion. So emotions are always high. Even when people say, oh, emotions were high. It's like, well, kind of they always are, you know, I've never had a general or a sergeant first class or anybody while getting shot at under fire lose their mind like Christian Bale did on Terminator Salvation. <laughs> like, so to me, that's where I go. I'm like, there are people getting shot at that keep their cool better. Like, take it down a notch. You're not curing cancer. You're doing some cool shit because I love getting lost in movies. So I try not to be a hypocrite. Like, I, I love just to get lost in a movie. Uh, if I cry great or if I get the chills great, that's all I care about so i try to always keep that childish like love of it in mind and they all oh, like you said the Oscars kind of like people were always watching what they were saying where you could tell i felt sometimes there's this weird agenda or like they swing for the fences and they counter and then they try to like counter it by like over over correcting and it's yeah like that's why i go back to that 80s thing and 90s everyone just fucking enjoy the celebration and just make movies and enjoy yourself and i think this year is what kind of got back to that there's always going to be some internet trolls like. Right? oh, how many white people were on stage? It's like, well, I can't argue that you're, that's a sound stance. If I'm a white boy from Idaho, I will never know what it's like to be a misrepresented minority. So I can't, I like, especially everywhere all at once, whatever it's called, that was awesome. Like they crushed it. And I forgot his name, Short Round getting an award. Yes. Um, that, that shit needed to happen. I won't his, ever.
2: His speech for the yes. award yes. should all be your dream. everywhere.
0: That's the American really? dream. Exactly. And it was really cool because he doesn't have some child star, horrible, like, you know, uh, uh, entertainment tonight, cocaine, uh, partying, like, right. It's a pretty pure thing. So for once this, this year's awards to me felt like I, 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 this sounds so cliche, but I didn't see color and I didn't feel like I was being forced to see it literally or metaphorically. I just saw people that did, they were good at their craft and got recognized for it. And they, they were what they were. The other awards felt like a little, like I said, it felt like massive overcorrecting, and this is the first one where I just felt like it was fun, you know. I felt the same way. Brendan Fraser, his, you can tell that guy has been through some shit. He, yeah, I'm guessing from his interviews, like he was a good dude in a. Like I said, it's an it can be an icky industry. I think anybody, there's enough to where there's smoke there's fire. We can extrapolate from enough accusations, and there's probably some gross stuff in this business and he just seemed like a nice guy who's getting a good career he had to be around some gross shit and it finally just was too much for him and then years later he gets to play this role of a lifetime and come out of the nowhere basically because he's been off the grid for a while and, and win so an academy was, award yeah and that was amazing to see and so like that was this is the first year where i felt like even just telling retelling you that i got the chills i felt like kind of like a childish pure enjoyment and, and inspiration yeah. from their, their from watching them enjoy the thing. Every year, because of the freaking internet, people are going to freeze frame faces people make and all that stuff. But if you did that on any other thing, like I don't care if it's a corporate awards event or some promotion board in the army. If you did the same amount of scrutiny the next day on Twitter with freeze framing everybody's eye roll... You'd find it. We'd find it. Yeah. <laughs> and it'd probably be way worse and way more colorful. So yeah, it's definitely... Like, just enjoy... I, I just this one felt like you could just enjoy it
2: for what it was. It's and, exactly what my wife and I said as we were watching it. Once once it ended, we were just like, "Well, that was just fun." Yeah. We had we had it's, a blast.
0: Yeah, and I think like you said um I forget I, I'll butcher his name because I'm a pretty much cliché American, but I'll call him short round unfortunately. Like you said his speech was it's what it should be. Like that guy was just on on cloud nine, he was just so freaking happy and i think he He, said like didn't he say something like my mom's watching this look mom i won an Oscar.' like that was awesome like that was so cool
2: if anyone asks what the american dream is and you hear a lot of times it's owning a home or it's doing this or that go to that speech yeah that's a good point he was an immigrant he came on a boat yeah got you know scrounged around he got a role he didn't make it past that yeah and now he's got an oscar yeah yeah. So any anyone can make it
0: in the yeah. United States. And my jaded, slightly jaded side that I'm trying to be better about is I like that the thing that happens in the, the keyboard warrior world is for some reason, especially in this Hollywood industry, people equate quote unquote success as being on every billboard like the rock or whatever. The things we see as successful, the, you know, Pratt's in every TV show, The Rock and Kevin Hart are in every movie now. Those ones are like, those are actually statistically the outliers, like, but they just float to the top because it's, it is a business. You put the rock in your movie, it'll be successful. (laughs) Love them or hate them. I'm sick of them. I, but I also am envious. I can't fault the guy. So, but they, the, those will float to the top, but for every one of the rocks, yes, there's a thousand people like me, maybe 10,000. Then there's maybe 20 or 30, 40,000 or whatever number that have zero credits because they can't get in the door. You know, so, but I like that. I, again, it's, this is really disrespectful, but short round. Whatever his name is, I like his. Didn't show. Look how successful I feel. Look at me exuding happiness for this success. I'm not on a billboard with in every movie like The Rock. I like that his the American, like you said, the American Dream story. It it, it kind of tampered the 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 barometer, I guess. It, it lessened what it should be perceived as, like. And I know me as an actor, especially because I'm really hard on myself, or even newbies coming to the industry, like they think that's like, it's almost like little girls and seeing Kardashian's photoshopped on the internet. It's a false perception of success in reality. And if you're basing your Hollywood success on the rock, you're screwed. Yeah. You'll never make it. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to pay my bills and be happy. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I wouldn't mind if I got this job where I play a seal and I'm the main character for many, many, many episodes on a book that's based on seven books that'd be awesome. Don't get me wrong. That would make a career. I could actually buy a rent. Like that'd be stupid. Awesome. But that doesn't need to be my barometer either. Like I always say, I want to just pay the bills and short round. He was happy as shit. He had a tux on talking to his mom, you know, and that's that. I don't know what he's been doing since I'm sure he had to work some basic jobs. If he was good with his money, I don't know. I'm sure he did a lot of like B level comic cons. And, but that was awesome to me. That showed that gave it a new perspective that it didn't have to be a freaking rock, you know? And I don't mean to knock the guy, but I just use him as like the pinnacle. Of what yeah. People assume it has to be. He's, he's in
2: every blockbuster. He's, yeah. He's the yeah. guy.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's again, as a movie nerd, I'm like, and I say this as a movie nerd, not a jealous wannabe actor, but I'm also like, come on, let's get some new stuff. I'm kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually tired of this. <laughs> I will, I will agree
2: with that in, in Hollywood. We're we well as a society we are rehashing a, a lot of movies. Yeah. um but as we yeah, wrap I, up here yeah oh no keep going sorry
0: no i was i could go on forever i was just gonna <laughs> say the rehash thing like the i i i, I wish people yeah i wish they do new ideas but because matt damon has this really cool clip on that um you know that thing where they eat hot wings you seen, yeah is hot it, ones these are hot ones yeah he has a really cool there's a clip of him that really blew my mind as far as when everything went streaming the amount of profit people have to make to even become profit is why there's no more risky movies being made which is why we're on fast and furious 10 and why we're on ghostbusters remake number seven that they're only going for the quote-unquote guarantees and it was it it blew my mind and then i was also like okay so are we fucked like is are we going to be in remake mode until the end of time or and that was really mind-blowing when he pointed that out i was like oh he's not wrong yeah it's just hopefully
2: the the pendulum swings back the other way to originality
0: and i'm also i'd be and i'll bastardize this real fast because it's a really cool point that i didn't make a dj pointed this out like when they remake a film like with female characters in the old male versions Mm -hmm. at first i was like that's awesome but i was also like the dj pointed this out he goes if i were these women i would be quite offended that it's like, oh, we can't come up with a new idea good enough for you, so we're just going to have you piggyback it off of these successful men shows, like they're going to do the Expendables as women, they did the Ghostbusters as women, and like, how about you just give them an original movie that they crush independently? Yeah. But because there, there are some out there, you know, yeah, but they're have always so scared, yeah, to not make successful money based on that Matt Damon thing I was telling you about. So they have to go off of a guaranteed income, which is why you get Black Adam versus you would never, they would never make Godfather now like that's now risky yeah. and they couldn't afford all that you know it's just it's on a it, there's no dvd sales and all that so sorry i love this shit i'm ram yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> well as we as we close out um is yeah. there anything that you would like to to put out there that you are working on that you can talk yeah. about
0: all I, i'm not i have nothing to pimp other than the noon movie it's called noon uh that my buddy scott wrote that we filmed in atlanta he is we're if you don't have money, it takes even longer. But we're he's crushing it. I watch it, and not because I'm in it, I cry every time. It is so beautiful. And it's the goal is to get it seen and then bought and then remade with money, etc. When we pimp that out, um, it's it'll just be like word of mouth. The trailer's out. So that's huge, but the like the only other two things that are again, everything I pimp doesn't really help my business because it's not like I'm like, go see my movie Shazam too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but also go see Shazam too, right? I agree. I think it's yeah. a movie.
0: But yeah, like, so like I said, I just auditioned for a giant role on a giant, it, I think I honestly think it's the number one show on Amazon right now, and it'd be the main bad guy for the entire season, which that'd be a career changing trajectory. It's very stressful because I have to, if I, it, I, this is where I need to be a little bit more hippie when I get it versus if I get it. Right. <laughs> so when I get it, I have to be much, much bigger than the, the main good guy, and the main good guy is huge he's taking a (laughs) lot he's taking a lot of hollywood vitamins and uh i I might be in some trouble if i get it but that would be huge and then like i said there's these two authors this isn't nda but i'll pimp out their book it's called tier one it's a the series is called tier one there's seven of them now and it's a navy seal don't if you're green beret don't (laughs) they're actually really good because it tap they actually tap into the former operator mentality and like functioning in the world without that and he goes all secret squirrel. And so it's a really cool like covert operations thing. And they're turning that into a show. And I'm on that like flies on shit. Just trying them. like the post, the picture they posted of the book. I was like, oh shit, that's me. I was like, oh, it's not. I actually thought it was me. So I'm like all over that because in Hollywood, like I said, that it's not like there's an 800 number to call. So right. like, I'm pimping the hell out of that just because that's the only way. To get those decision makers to is uh, just saturate it, you know, just shoot shotgun blast to the side of the wall constantly. <laughs> it's not precision tactics at all. <laughs> well,
2: we're, we're not huge here if we don't have a huge audience, but maybe somebody's listening. You never know. And
0: like I said, can I, when I do my podcast, I do it just because it's fun as hell. And yeah. enough people listen and give a crap, you know.
2: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop hospitals, factories, schools and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by.
0: Granger, for the ones who get it done.
2: Well, Jeff, thank you for coming on. It's been an awesome conversation. Like you, I'm very passionate about this stuff too. So, yeah. We could talk for, you know, three or four more hours.
0: Easily. (laughs) No, I I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me get long-winded.
2: All right. Thanks, man.